The Pacific is our first destination. Time to hear from the capital of Vanuatu, where the island nation is struggling with a physical and human wreckage wrought by two catastrophic cyclones, Judy and Kevin. A state of emergency was declared on Friday. As well as our regular and much-valued Pacific commentator Tess newton Kane, she of the Griffith Asia Institute in Brisbane, we're delighted to be joined by Rothina Ilonoka, who's the Acting Director General of Vanuatu's Ministry of Justice and Community Services and Head of Vanuatu's Department of Women. A warm welcome to you both. Good evening, Kylie. Rathina, I know that you're at a ceremony and we can't speak for long. So, Tess, I might just ask you to listen in for a few questions while we chat to Rathina. Rathina, we're hearing uh, the destruction was much greater in some areas than others. Can you describe the scale overall of what you've seen? Uh, thank you very much. Yes, um, as as the as we all know, we've just been there have been all kinds of... Uh, Rathina, I, I can hear you. And if the listener could just bear with us, it's tricky to get phone lines that are working into Vanuatu at the moment. So uh, I'll ask for your patience. Rathina, can you describe the scale of the destruction? No, I think we're going to have to try and call Rathina back. Tess, I know that you're there and you've lived much of your life on Vanuatu and obviously have very strong connections there. What, what are you hearing in terms of the scale of the destruction? Yeah, well, hopefully um, the director can can rejoin us. It's been it's been a really rugged few days for friends and family and connections in Vanuatu. Um, as we know, there were two cyclones that came through within the space of a few days, less than a week, which is unheard of. I don't, I haven't heard anyone say that they have any recollection of that. Both of those storms um, were bigger than expected, and both of them tracked across. Uh, a large number of the inhabited islands. So we've seen um, a lot of footage and pictures of uh, destroyed housing, particularly informal housing, where you know people's dwellings have effectively just been left as as kind of matchsticks. We've also seen other um, buildings, including schools and public infrastructure, that have sustained very serious damage. And we know that a lot of people have had garden crops. Uh, damaged and, you know, that obviously has future impacts in terms of their food security. What, what about, Tess, the, I mean, you talk about the kind of physical damage that's been done to buildings and to roads. And I, I was reading today about many of the planes, the island hoppers that are used to move between the various islands that make up Vanuatu being simply flipped over on their backs, you know, mm. by, by these monstrous winds. But in terms of people, what are we hearing about how people are coping at this stage? I mean, as we can hear from Rathina's phone lines, you know, the, the power is intermittent at best. Uh, what else is what else has been interrupted? Yeah, so obviously communications are still very patchy, and we're we're on the receiving end of that tonight. And there are still places, even in the capital, that don't have power. There are still about three thousand people um, still in evacuation centres after they were moved, or they moved from their homes in order to remain safe during the impact of the storms. Uh, in in Port Vila, um, people have been advised to boil their water or, or use bottled water and not rely on the town water as, as being drinkable. And elsewhere in outlying areas, we've heard reports of people's water source 
resources being um, being infiltrated and being tainted. So that there is an issue about people being able to access water that's that's going to be beneficial. And I think the other thing that um, certainly bearing, you know, what I'm hearing from my friends and colleagues when I get a chance to speak to them is a real a real sense of exhaustion. You know, going through a cyclone is an exhausting experience and now they're really into that really hard slog of the the clearing up and repairing and, you know, kids kids haven't necessarily been able to go back to school. Some schools are still closed. Some businesses are reopening, others not so much. There was a huge queue outside the National Provident Fund offices this morning of people wanting to take out loans that are available through that provider in order to buy materials so that they can rebuild houses and you know um you know replant gardens so you know it's it's a it's a long road ahead and it's it's just extremely tiring and it you know it comes it comes hard on the heels of previous disasters i think you know even in the years that i've been associated with vanuatu the frequency with which these large destructive cyclones occur has increased dramatically. So, you know, in terms of recovering um, psychosocially and emotionally, that's, you know, there just is very little window. And I think, you know, I think that your listeners, you know, might need to bear in mind or might need to be reminded that there are still seven weeks of cyclone season to go. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that another cyclone could, could affect Vanuatu between now and the end of April. I mean, you mentioned the frequency, but also the ferocity, it would seem, of these mm. hurricanes. You know, some of the locals are saying we we always have hurricane season, but these hurricanes are almighty beasts that we have yeah. no experience of. Well, I think I think to say this, it's not that they have no experience, it's just that pre- previously a Category 5 or a Category 4 might be once every five years or once every 10 years. Um, but now they're coming at that size every year. So whereas previously you might have had Category 1s and 2s, which are, you know, a disruptive for a day or so, now it's basically every time we're having to activate a full natural disaster response. And that's what Vanuatu is currently, you know, is now in the process of doing. And they've stood up all the the necessary response systems in order to do that. But like I say, it's just by the time, you know, they're just sort of constantly in a state of either preparing for, dealing with, responding to or recovering from a major disaster that either affects uh, one, one or more parts of the country or affects pretty much the whole of the country. Tess, sadly, we can't get a connection again with Rathina. We're, we're, oh, we're trying, but <laughs> and we will continue to try. But I wanted to speak to her because she's the head of Vanuatu's Department of Women. We Mm-mm. have been talking about how women are disproportionately affected by natural disasters and made more vulnerable because of them. We spoke to the Pakistani writer Fatima Bhutto on our last program and she was uh, high highlighting that. In the Pacific, uh, though, women are also very much part of the preparation and response test, aren't they? Mm. That's right. And I think this is something that we've seen, uh, not just in Vanuatu, but in other Pacific Island countries, such as Fiji and, and other countries, that uh, women play really important parts. They play, they, you know, we have women such as um, the director who are in senior roles within the 
the administration and they will be leading on response efforts and providing coordination for government work. Um, in, in Fiji, the National Disaster Management Office is headed by a woman who um, will be, provides leadership to her own team, but also will be offering support to her colleagues in Vanuatu. But they also play really important parts, play really important roles at the community level. So, for example, uh, after Cyclone Pam, one of my friends, uh, Mary Jack, was part of a group called uh, Women Talk Talk Together, which was, you know, basically about creating safe spaces in which women could come together and get information about what was going to happen in their community, what aid was going to be provided, how they would get access to it, what, you know, what they could expect, how they could provide information about what their needs were, not, you know, as heads of family or as women, you know, if they had particular needs around pregnant women or nursing mothers or particular needs around menstrual health. Um, and so this was a, a particular you know, methodology that was used that was really allowed to give women that sense that they could raise their concerns. And from that, they have then been able to keep those conversations going and keep that participation going in terms of preparedness and readiness and also being part of response activities into the future. Tess, just taking a step back for a moment, of course, the Australian government says it's prioritising the Pacific. Can you see that in Australia's response to this crisis and Vanuatu so far? Well, certainly. So within in the Pacific, uh, Australia forms part of uh, what's called the France Initiative or the France Partnership, which is a combination of France, Australia and New Zealand. And so during cyclone season and in response to natural disasters, those three countries work together to support the Pacific, and we've already seen that happen. So New Zealand is chairing that grouping at the moment. Australia has deployed HMAS Canberra, which is due to arrive in Vanuatu, I think, either Thursday or Friday, with a deployment of 600 and is obviously going with a huge amount of aid. The Prime Minister of Vanuatu spoke this morning of what was expected in terms of shelter kits, kitchen kits, um, generators, water tanks, things that will allow people to um, start to rebuild their lives and, and be able to function and, and particularly be able to get people out of those evacuation centres and back to their homes. So Australia's already demonstrated um, a very rapid response and a very strong response um, and will continue, will no doubt continue to support the government of Vanuatu and the people of Vanuatu as they move from response to recovery. Tess, a few other issues if I can. Uh, a surprise mm. move in Fiji by the former Prime Minister today. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, this this did come quite late on today. So the, the Prime Minister, a uh, former Prime Minister, sorry, Bainimarama, had previously been suspended from Parliament um, for until 2026, and so he has taken the option to resign his seat. He hasn't resigned as leader of his party, but he's resigned his seat, and this basically means that under the system that's used in Fiji. Uh, another Fiji first person can go into Parliament, so they will retain 26 members 
in the parliament, um, which is obviously really important in terms of the numbers on the floor because the the ruling coalition has a very narrow majority. So you know, this, you know, it's 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 been a bit of a it's been quite an interesting set of events in relation to how Fiji First have dealt with losing power. We now have the two people who were key to the Fiji First Government for such a long time, Bainimarama and the former Attorney General, um, Aya Sayad Kayum, now out of Parliament, um, leaving Fiji First still in opposition. They'll have 26 MPs, but they've lost some other people as well, ones that actually had quite a bit of parliamentary experience. So in terms of performing on the floor of Parliament, um, it's not. It's it's hard to see where the strength is on the opposition benches. Obviously, they do have the strength of numbers to certainly put the government's uh, legislative agenda to the test. And just briefly, uh, Tess, if I can, an historic mm. negotiation of the Oceans Treaty. This seems significant. It's hugely significant. It is historic. It's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of very hard work done Pacific nations have played a really important part in these negotiations over a long period of time. Some of the people who were key to those negotiations are no longer with us, such as the late Tony de Brum. Very important for Pacific Island countries. You know, when you think about a country like Kiribati that has a tiny landmass but a huge ocean um, domain over which it exercises sovereignty and stewardship. So as this um, treaty becomes operationalised, it will certainly, certainly the hope in the Pacific is that it will very strongly align with some of the really important things that Pacific Island leaders have wanted um, in terms of ocean governance and also the um, extremely close linkage between how we look after our oceans and what that means for climate change. Tess, thank you so much for all of that. That's Tess Newton-Kane, who's the project lead of the Pacific Hub at the Griffith Asia Institute. Again, apologies that we weren't able to uh, return to Rathina Ilonoka uh, on Vanuatu. As you mentioned, communications are tricky, but we will persevere with speaking to her. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.